Well, good morning, church. Uh, something I just want to say before I say what I've got to say. You know, I think these last couple of weeks for me, I've read the Bible like yourself many, many times at different stages in different seasons of my life. Like you, I hope. And sometimes, and I'm sure you'll, you'll be able to identify with this, sometimes it just feels like it's black and white writing in a book. Anybody feel like that? Yes, it's just like reading a book. And other times, the book reads me. But I, have had, I can honestly say in these last couple of months, I have never ever had as much fulfillment from reading Scripture than I have right now. It's like I'm drinking and, and eating from a different place. And I say that not to make you jealous, but to make you jealous. So that you will desire the same things. That it's possible to get to a place where you feel so nourished, so full, that you are actually meeting the God of the Bible. And that's not because I'm special. That's not. Because every one of us can have this place at this level. It's just desire. And I've asked God to give me this desire. Because I know in myself I struggle. Just like you do. But I know that the prayer of David, me and Phil were talking about this morning, but the prayer of David has given me so much encouragement over the years because there's a man who needed sustaining. There's a man who needed a new spirit creating in him. And there's a man who just realized that he was powerless to do things without God's intervention. So in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is given to you to make that journey. But you're still flesh and blood. You still have a will. You still have an old nature. And you have to crucify that nature so that the spirit of God within you can take you to a new place. So the less of you there is, the more of Christ can rise. But that's a journey that we all have. And it's a fight we're all in. Is that not true? It is. And, uh, and this scripture comes this morning. Uh, as we're in worship, it's come to me. So I'm going to read it to you. And it says in, from uh, John chapter 5. And it says... <clears throat> Verse, reading from 39, so it's John chapter 5, 39. You, dilig- you diligently study the scriptures because, will you, the microphone's falling. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what is he saying? He was talking to a religious group of people who thought they were, they were close to God because they read scriptures and because they observed laws. And in the modern day world, we think we can be Christians because we hear scripture and we come to church. But the whole preface of what he was saying is, you still don't come to me. You want the benefits, you want to me to intervene in your life at certain times of crisis, but you don't want me. And I'm, you, if you can't have me, if you don't want me, then there's nothing else I can do for you. If you won't let me get involved and you, won't let, and you truly won't surrender and submit your life, then, I, then your emergency prayer is not going to work. Because for you, that's called spiritual CPR. And I don't work on CPR. I work on life-sustaining 
I work on enhancing. I work on strengthening, building and developing. But I don't do the emergency stuff with people who are supposed to, who tell me that they're with me. Does that mean to say that God doesn't do emergency prayers around the world? Of course he does. God can intervene at any time, any place, anywhere, because he's sovereign. But when it comes to believers, you shouldn't be asking God, you should be living on, a, on emergency prayers. You should be in a relationship. So God's trying to get us to a different position. He said you can live from a point of crisis, or you can live from a point of victory. I've lived on both, and I'm sure you have. I know what it's like to be in crisis. I know what it's like when I barely know God and I'm trying to get his hand up his back to intervene for me. And if I cry a bit more and I cry a bit louder, God will intervene by the sound of my voice. And God says, no, son, I move because of who I am. And I move because of the stature, the stature you have in me. I'm a merciful God, so I'll move when, even when you don't deserve it. But don't ever let me have to come to that place. Let's walk in relationship. So if I can work in relationship, I'm working from a much better place and a much healthier place than if I'm in crisis. And from time to time, I can be in relationship and also have a crisis. But I'm not in crisis, but I have a crisis. Does that make sense? God doesn't want you, because most people who are in crisis do not know how to talk. And what they say is, they hit their Facebook, they hit all of best friends, and they get them to pray for them. That's a clear sign of crisis. Now, it's not wrong asking your friends to join in and pray with you in a moment of crisis. How many of you know you can be in crisis, but the crisis not necessarily being you? And friends and strength, you know, friends can be a great strength. That's not what I'm talking about, asking people to pray with us. When you, when you rely on other people's prayer to get you through, because you have no stature with God, then there's something wrong. Now, people partnering with me in prayer, I need that. Because that's going to help me accelerate. They're, they're partners. We're all in this together. But, you know, when someone says to you, can you pray for my friend because she's got a Veruca? Come on. Get real. No, you go and pray for your friend with Veruca. That's your, that's your mission, your assignment, not mine. Seriously. I mean, people, often we get caught into this. Will you pray for such and such a body? And I always say, if the Lord allows me. Because I'm not going to be praying for someone's Veruca. Seriously. That's your job. That's your job to pray for them. You're going to be a witness to them. My job is to pray for other things. I might have my own friends with Verucas. So the point is he's saying here is that you don't, uh, sorry, you diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. You possess eternal life. I know I possess eternal life. What I'm now trying to discover is the life in this book. Does that make sense? I diligently study because I know in Christ I have life. And I'm studying and I'm looking for and I'm searching for the life in this book. Because this book, I keep telling you before, this is like Alan's, um, what do you call it? The, uh, oh, the fairy tale book where he steps with, uh, in the wardrobe. What's it called? 
sorry, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Have you never seen that movie? It's a portal. Narnia, thank you. It's like Narnia. It, it looks just like a book, but when I, when I give my heart to it and I step through it, I'm in another world. I'm in heaven. Heaven's in me. I'm in a completely different place and a different position. Why? Because I step through the pages rather than most people just look and stop at the page. I'm seeking a person. He's on the other side of this, this word. He's speaking to me. I'm speaking to him. And, and if anyone you just study the scriptures, don't just seek knowledge. Seek the person. Seek the person. Don't just seek the knowledge. You can go to a library for knowledge. But if you seek the person, and he says this to these religious guys. Guys, you're all smart. You're all educated. But you still don't know me. And there's an issue here, church, that every week we can listen, and you do listen, you take notes, but do you still do you know him? Is what we say and what we speak encouraging you, lifting you, empowering you to know him better and more clearly? That is the fundamental question. Because I'd hate to think that what I'm speaking and what the other guys are speaking is not helping you, then there's something wrong, there's a problem somewhere. So if I ask you a question, what do you feel most proud of? You've got an answer for that, haven't you? Have I asked you which teacher made the most impact on you? You've got an answer for that. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? You've got an answer for that. If you can only hold five possessions in the world, what would you hold? You think about it. And at some point, you'll say, you'll get your five down. You've got an answer for that. Somewhere down the line. But I'm asking you probing questions. By asking you those questions, they are probing questions. Because I'm trying to find out what you value and, and what has been the most value in your life. Does that make sense? Because things that have value matter to us. And we place important on, importance on, I should say. And asking questions, I have found, is very, very helpful. But how many of you know asking questions can be very uncomfortable to those receiving them? And sometimes, if you've got to ask a question... It can also be very uncomfortable if you've got to ask the question, depending on the nature of the question, obviously. But asking questions is very, very powerful. Jesus loved to ask a question at the most awkward time. And I love the way he did it. I'm glad. You know, have you noticed when, or maybe you've not, when, when you talk to the Lord, and the Lord, or when the Lord speaks to you, I should say, and he asks you a question, and he has a certain way with his question to expose you. You're going on, you're talking, talking and talking. All of a sudden God speaks. Discussion over. And what he's done, he's flipped the whole argument around. So now you've got to answer his question. Not him answer yours. See, Job one day was going on. And he was going on and on and on and on. And God just says, stop. Who are you that darkens my counsel? Was you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? No. And as the dialogue and discourse goes on, you see Job shrinking into himself. He's like, oh my Lord, why did I have to open my big mouth? And then he says, I'm going to shut up. And it's almost God saying, that should have been your first posture. When you talk to me, I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to ask you a question. And when I ask you a question, my question is going to be a lot more important than yours. Come on. 
Because God has a way of doing that. And it's always like, excuse me for interrupting you while you're interrupting me. Let me speak. Maybe you should do a a little less talking and more listening for a season. So then you can talk and then God can get back to you. But very often... We don't know the person that we don't know the person we're talking to, and this is a real issue and a concern in the church. That do we really know the one we're talking to? And Matthew sixteen thirteen, he says this: When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say?" The Son of Man is. Now, Jesus is asking a significant strategic question because he knows what's, what's going on in the background. <clears throat> and they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. What do you say? So who do you say I am? Now, when Jesus walked into Caesarea Philippi, he knew there was a variety of projections, suspicion, and opinions colliding in the airways. Do you know that? There is such a concophony of confusion in the airways because he's been around. You know what gossip's like? Some say he's this, some say he's that. Da-da-da, da-da-da, he's not this. He can't, how can he be that? Because he comes from there. Ba-ba-ba, ba-ba-ba. And there's all this confusion in the air. And Jesus, knowing this confusion, has a way of asking the most important question to get to the real issue in the people that it really needs to be concluded in. How many of you know Jesus was not concerned with what the crowds were saying? He was more concerned about those who were following him. God isn't going to answer a lot of prayers that people are, a lot of confusion, a lot of emergency prayers people are asking him. Why? Because God doesn't walk with the talkers. God walks with the doers. There's a lot of people talking. And there's more talking than there's doing. So God doesn't walk with the talkers only. God walks with the doers. Because the doers are talkers as well, but they do it when they talk. So here he is. He's picking up the frequency, the confusion in the airways. And how many of you know emotions can have certain ways of attacking um, revealing, Jesus was never, he was never emotional about it. Jesus never had to defend himself. He just explained who he was. And here he is, knowing what, they, knowing what was going on in their confusion, he asks two poignant questions. Questions that unless you had a revelation and an understanding, you could never answer. But he knew that because he was fishing to see what they actually was at the core root of them. Jesus wasn't interested, hear what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't interested in what they knew. Jesus was looking for what had been revealed. Your knowledge does not impress God. If it hasn't taken you deeper in God. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is good, especially if it develops you deeper in God. But if your knowledge doesn't develop you, then, then what have you done with your knowledge? You've, you've amounted all this knowledge, but you've produced very little with it. How many of you know these students who love to study and study and study 
and study and study. And they're smart people. But you know, at some point, go and get a job. Go and contribute to society. When I was in Strasbourg this year, this waiter came out and he gives me this profound statement. He says in, in Alsac, that's the region of Strasbourg, uh, Strasbourg, yeah. He says to me, we have a saying. So I said, really? So I'm listening to him. And he spoke good English. He says, you, in Strasbourg, you have an obligation to die. And I thought, that's good. So I listened to him. And I said, you know, in Manchester, we have a different saying. He said, really, what's that? And he was, he was good engaged, and I had him. I said, you have an obligation to contribute. I said, because society's got too many freeloaders. He looks at me and went, that's good. I said, living and contributing is better than dying. <laughs> dying costs you money. And he went, wow. I'm sure his next, pre- his next person is going to, we have a saying in, in Strasbourg that better to contribute. I'll engage with anyone anywhere. But who do people, the questions that, two questions that Jesus asked is this. Who do people say the son of man is? And what about you? Who do people say the son of man is? And what about you? So here's what they said. The question was originally asked to all the disciples. Now bear this in mind. The question was asked to all the disciples, but they became politically correct in their answer. Don't get politically correct with God. Well, Lord, only you would know. Yes, I know that. I know what I know. And I know that you don't know what I know. So let's find out what you actually know. Not for my benefit, but to expose you so you can see what you need to know and also what you don't know. So we ask them this question and then they come out with this political correctness, correct statement. They say, some say. Some say what? Oh, John the Baptist. Oh, some. Okay. Then the next one comes out and says, well, others say. Elijah. So some have said, others have said, and then the smart political correct answer comes again. Still others. Still others. Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now they could have all collectively at that point stood as one unit. But they didn't. They could have all stood together and said, they say, some say, They might say, however, we, we know something different. Jesus would have went, that would have been a smart answer. But they didn't. They exposed themselves by trying to detach themselves from the crowd. Some say, they say, others say, still others say. You can imagine, they think they're being smart. They haven't got a clue. They haven't got a scooby-doo. They could have collectively said, we, however, Lord, we've got an idea. We think we know who you are. No, they didn't say that. So then Jesus says, okay, let's get right to the issue here. Let's cut through the confusion. What about you? Now he's direct to the point. Now he's exposed them all. And you can imagine them all doing this, can't you? 
I told you you should have said this. They're all exposed. But Jesus didn't do that to embarrass them. He tried to find out what they knew. He knew that he knew, but he wanted them to know what they didn't know. Does that make sense? And God will always ask you questions to reveal what you don't know. He wants you to see what you don't know. It's important that you understand there are things you don't know. So that then you can ask a different question. But when you think you know some stuff, you don't listen. But when you don't know, God has to tell you, actually, Tony, you're quite ignorant in that area. Tony, shh, you should be listening rather than talking. Tony, how many times have I told you? Your mother told you? No, I'm telling you. Shut up. Mother was right. Shut up, Tony. Keep quiet. You talk too much. Don't answer that. But now they're trapped. They're on the spot. They've exposed. The son, of, the son of man has now got them in this corner where they now have to reveal what they know. God's going to do the same with you. God's going to put you in a corner and at some point you are going to have to tell him what you know. You can't keep saying, well, our pastor said. Well, you know, Phil, he, he, spoke, he said in, in, in the, in the uh, authentic, and Paul said in the worship, he's going to say, stop. What do you know? I know what they said. I know what they know. I'm asking you, what do you know? What do you know? What, let me ask you a different question. What don't you know? To some degree, that's a big question. Well, what don't know? If I don't know what I don't know, how can I answer it? Exactly. Now you need revelation for me to show you where you need, what areas you need to be taught in. That's the whole idea. See, there's some conscious subjects I know I don't know nothing about. And then there's those I think I know more than I actually do. And someone comes along and makes you look a, a right numpty. True? And then there's others that I know this is my field. I can speak on this with clarity, with a certain measure of authority and experience and truth. <clears throat> but there's other areas, not quite sure. There's nothing worse than listening to someone talk about something they know nothing about. And the church is fantastic at it. So he says, Jesus says, boys, just answer the question. Just answer the question. Let's get to the point. So then Simon says, Simon says at last. Simon says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by men, but my father in heaven. What he was saying was, well done, Pete. Well done. Never mind these flipping wet wipes here. Some say, others say, da-da-da, da-da-da. Well done, Pete. You stepped out the boat. You got out the boat. So it wasn't, his only, it wasn't the only time he got out the boat. It wasn't the only time he got himself in hot water or cold water. Well done, Pete. You stepped out the boat. You were willing to step on the water because these wet wipes kept looking, some say. These guys were political, but at least you had the guts to tell me. 
So at least I know something's been revealed to you, but to the wet wipes, they're not quite sure. Why? Because we all come to an understanding at different stages. So Peter was one of the first to come into an understanding. And now they could all nod their head, see, yeah, that's exactly what we think. But you had your moment to tell him. You had your moment to tell the person at work. You had, the per- you had your moment at the bus stop. You had the moment in the shop. You had the moment on, uh, on the tram. You had your moment to tell them. And then somebody else comes on. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. But you didn't tell them what you thought. You waited for somebody else because it, was imp- it wasn't politically correct for you to stand up and say what you knew. And we're living in that society where it's no longer politically correct to say a lot of things. It ain't politically correct to be politically correct. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you seen that on the news this, mo- uh, this week. London Underground, the tube. Good morning. We can't say good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Get a life. What should we say? Good morning, X-Men. Shapeshifters. And anybody else out there? Whatever shape you want to be. No. Man and female. You see, the, major- the minority, the 1% speak like they're the 99. And the 99 think that they are the 99%. The 1% is the 99%, I should say. But guess what? That fear starts right resting on you. So then you think, oh, yeah, yeah, well, they've got a big voice, haven't they? My voice is bigger than theirs. Stand for something or you'll fall for everything. I know it's not always easy to stand. And you need some wisdom to stand. But at some point, you do have to stand. Who do people say that I am? This is a very, very fundamental question that you have got to answer. You cannot be politically correct when it comes. But what you do need to be is wise. You need to be wise and find a way. But at some point, they're going to put us in a corner and they're going to ask us that question. And you can say, well, you know, some sections of the church, you could be really Church of England at this point, some members of the church say this, and some, mem- well, I know the Pentecostals say this, and I know the Charismatics say this, and I know the Lunatics say this. But at some point, someone's going to say, but what about you? Can't hide you behind your denomination. Can't hide behind your colour, your culture, your creed. You've got to hide behind who has been revealed inside of you. And that day is coming when you are going to be forced into a corner more and more, and I thank God it's coming. Because at some point, the true church will emerge. Christ will be revealed. The church, will, the saints will arise, and the, uh, the city will be transformed. Only when we're pushed in a corner. Now, I don't like being in a corner. None of us like being pushed in a corner. But there are some corners that are good for you. God's chosen a corner for you. The stones will taste sweet. Only if you learn to respond to them. So Jesus knows what question to ask. Is that, is that right? Phil, can I have, you, can I have a watch? Because I haven't got a clue. My, I still haven't got a battery for my watch. How's that, eh? I've had a watch now on, on me for two and a half weeks and I still haven't got a battery for it. And it's like, it's a piece of furniture that I can't leave home without. And if I, if I don't have my watch on, but I know it's right twice a day. 
so I'll just work with that twice a day. So if we don't get till 10 o'clock, 10 to 10, I've got till 10 to 10, <laughs> according to this watch. Because <laughs> that's what time, it's cowboy time. 10 to 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 10 That's a joke way above you this morning, I know. Cowboy time. Oh, Some say. So, John chapter 4, verse 29. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. But she's comfortable with saying this. Could this be the Christ? So she's asking a question now. Could. There's something different about you, fella, that all the other fellas I've talked to and been involved with are not like you. So this causes a question to rise within a heart. Could. Could is a question. True? Could this be the man? Could this be the Christ? Notice she didn't say, I wonder this, what is it about this dude? She said, could this be the Christ? She says, you're already using the word Christ. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. That's verse 29. Go to verse 39, 10 verses down. Now we're picking up the story a little bit, the pace of the story. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So there was a question inside of her that caused her to open her mouth and talk about him. Would you agree with that? And she says it again, he told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, and because of his words, and because of his words... Many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It's gone from a question, suspicion, question, to a conclusion. From one person asking the question, could this be the Christ? It's now gone to a whole village, a whole town, concluding that what this woman was mulling over in her own heart and mind and spirit, others now have concluded that it's not, could this be the Christ? He is the Christ. So there is a definite, in that short encounter of two days, some of us have had far more encounters than this this group ever had. And yet we still don't know Jesus to the level that they knew them. Now let me make this statement, and it might surprise you, shock you. The devil is far more obedient than you or I. You're saying yes, but you don't know what you're saying yes to. I've got to say this. The devil is far more obedient and more submissive than you or I. Do you know why? Because at least he submits to the name of Jesus. And many of us will not submit to the name of Jesus. And because we don't submit to the name of Jesus, the devil has more obedience than you or I. Now, please help me, that's not right. Jesus said, the devil... When he came to tempt Jesus, he says, he can't do that. Why? Because he has no hold on me. Why? Because of every area in Jesus' life was made obedient. 
Paul says, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Jesus has done this, Jesus has done that. You're going to do this once your obedience has been made complete. So it all rests on your obedience and my obedience. And these women, this town, became obedient to what had been revealed. They accepted him in. The woman's testimony, was it a solid testimony? Come and see a man who told me everything I've done. So that put in in her mind, he's now a prophet. But in in the town's mind, two days with Jesus, you're the Christ. You're not only a prophet, you're not just a prophet, you're Christ. They knew an aspect of God or Jesus on the earth that the woman didn't fully grasp. Now, eventually, she got there. But they got it. They did not have the dialogue that she had. But they had a different kind of dialogue. And in that dialogue, they got, you are the Christ. Not like the other wet wipes, who spent all that time with him and still couldn't tell him who he was. Now, eventually, when you get to John 15, Jesus says, now they all understand. I've given my word. Father, I'm praying for them. Those you've given to me. Why? Because by this time, now they're all on the page. By this time, they're all on the page. But how many of you know, he started with Peter. They all had glimpses of him, but to actually understand who he was, was a revelation and a wisdom that they all needed. True? My friends, it's not changed. It still hasn't changed. To know him is one thing. That's called introduction. If I meet this this man in front of me now and I've not met him before, it's called introduction. But do I know him? No. But I might have have spoke with him for two hours, but he's still an introduction. This lady can tell me everything about him. But he's not going to tell me everything about himself. He's going to tell me certain aspects of him. Why? Because it's called introduction. When you get born again, you get saved, it's called introduction. You do know him in one sense. But you don't know him intimately. So you do know him because you've met him and he, and he came to you through faith. You received him. But you don't know him intimately. This lady knows him intimately. True? And what God's trying to get you and me from is to come beyond salvation so that you just know him. I've met him. I'm saved now. Blessed Jesus. He's my savior and I'm all that kind of stuff. All that's true, but you know what? Can we go deeper? Will you serve me? Will you follow me? Will you let me speak to you? Will you let others speak to you who speak on my behalf? Ah. You mean I've got to listen to others? Yes. That's one of the big issues here. So it's not just you meeting me. It's will you, will you get to know me? So the disciples show proof that they knew Jesus. Let me give you a scripture. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. This is their proof that they finally caught a hold of and they went to a whole new level. It just didn't stop with what Peter said. They then moved on to a whole new level where they began to follow Jesus and tell others about what they knew. And he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. So there was a hearing involved, which we have seen. There's a seeing involved. And our eyes have looked at and our hands have touched. And there's a touching involved. So there's a hearing, there's a seeing, there's a touching. 
When you first get saved, the Bible says God gives you the faith to receive. Hello? So listen, hear what I'm going to say. God gives Veronica a measure of faith so that, so that Veronica can come to faith. God gives Veronica a measure of faith so when she sees Jesus, she goes, you're the Christ. Right, now that's called introduction. But now with her measure, she must use her measure so she can ultimately come to faith. The faith that she was given her was given her so she could come to faith. Does that make sense? So the measure you're giving becomes the issue. Now, if she just sees that she needs saving and she was a sinner, that's a wonderful picture to have because it's a true picture. Because without that, she doesn't inherit salvation. But that's only the start. So let's find out what the inheritance is all about. What, what have I got in store for her? So she needs her faith now to trust me that if she follows me, I'll reveal it to her. True? Because without faith, it's impossible for Veronica to please God. So I give her the measure to start the journey. Does that make sense? So with her measure now is how she uses her measure. And here's what the Bible says. With the measure you're given, that's what you'll give back. But what you don't have, will even what you don't have will be taken away from you. That's frightening. Because she doesn't even know what she doesn't have. But what she's got, she, what she got, she knows. And that's the place you start this journey from. With your measure, with what I know I've received, I start that journey from that position. So when I ask you, what do you know? It's a, it's a massive question. But I've got to start with, I know Jesus is my saviour. He's my redeemer. Right, start from there. Use your measure. Start walking. Start following me. Start trusting me. And I will reveal to you all the works that I have for you. I have for you because there's a work on the earth for her. Does it make sense? So that was from the beginning. So there's a beginning in Veronica's life. She heard, Veronica, you're selfish. You're a sinner. Really, yes, because when the light shines, you see yourself as Jesus. Because Jesus showed her what she didn't know. So now she sees that she was a sinner. She was selfish. She only had a self at mind, right? A self-interest, like us all. Let's not paint Veronica in, in any different picture than in any other light. It's true. She was selfish. She was a sinner. You go and talk to the family. They'll tell you. Right? So the thing is, she, she as a position, God had to show her what she didn't know. Now she starts the journey with the measure she's got, and then God begins to show her other things. And God begins to show her what, what she didn't know. She can now use it. And she can come to faith with it. But she's got to keep on trusting and keep on using the faith she's got. And that measure will grow. That measure will grow. And that measure will grow what you know. And that measure will grow and take you deeper into the one you know. But she's got to start somewhere. It's a very basic message. This isn't, this isn't deep. This is, but it's, it's still powerful. So that which we've heard from the beginning, there's got to be a beginning in your life. What did you hear at the beginning? What have you seen? 
What have your own eyes looked at and what have you touched? And what are you touching will determine the strength of your relationship. See, she touched salvation. She touched it. But you've got to go into authentic class number three. That when we started talking about working at your salvation, we talked about working at your testimony. What is your testimony? And what do we say? The testimony is not just how you came to Christ. We included all those dimensions and dynamics that are involved in her testimony. I wish to God more Christians would understand this. Your testimony is not just how you came to Christ. It's much more than this. So she's got a testimony. She's got the beginning of a story. But it's incomplete. Why? Because she's incomplete. Why is she incomplete? Because the good work started in her has not yet come to fulfillment. So she's an incomplete work, but she's not an incomplete person. There's a, there's a massive difference there. She's not an incomplete person. Why? Because she's got Christ. And Christ who has supplied everything that she needs for life and godliness. So she's not incomplete as a person. But she's incomplete because God wants to start a work on her and it's not yet finished. Does that make sense? So... She's got to see, she's got to, there's got to be a beginning. She's got to see some things. She's got to touch some things. She's got to hear some things so that her testimony and her knowledge and her relationship with Christ can become solid. Does this make sense? It does to me. And then he says this, and we have looked and our hands have touched. This we proclaim. So now they're not going to people and think, they're not going to others and saying, some say. Others say. Still others. Now they're going with convictions. Let me tell you what we have touched, what we have seen, what we have heard. Let me tell you how it began. And the Bible, the Gospels, tells you how each disciple's journey began. They put down their nets, something you've got to do. Put down your self-interest, something that you must do. And they must take up their cross, something which you must do. And they must follow and trust and obey, something that we all need to do. These are the requirements of discipleship. Some people want to be believers, but we're called to be disciples. You cannot stay a believer, you must become a disciple. The the truth is this, the church has more fans and followers than it has disciples. It's not only football clubs that have fans. The church has fans. It's not only the church, it's not only the football clubs that have followers. The church have followers. But they're not following the purposes of God. They're following their own interests. So we have to be very careful. So he says, we've seen this life and we testify to it. And now we proclaim to you the eternal life. So they're very clear about what they're now going to proclaim. Does that make sense? which was the Father, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. So now they say from the beginning, they've got a definite point. It began with us. It started with the Father. It rested in us. Now it's going from us back to the Father. Through you, back to the Father. So they're very clear about the one they are now representing. And we proclaim, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. Now the saying is transferable. 
It's transferable because what we've received, as I'm telling you, God can open your eyes and it can happen to you. So it's transferable. All through someone opening the mouth. And not just opening the mouth, but being very clear. Being very clear. And our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. They're very clear who they're representing and who they're talking about. See, I love this verse. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Simply because the disciples are showing me, Tony, it's possible to have dialogue. It's possible that from salvation, it's possible to see, hear, touch, and know God in a far more intimate way than just receiving salvation. I need a faith and a Christianity that allows me to, to talk with him and him to talk back. That means I need to set up the software so I can hear him and decode what he's saying. Right? That is a tremendous relationship and a tremendous power when the Christian can hear God speak. And it sounds so crazy to people outside of church, but it sounds so natural to you and me. God speaks. Without God speaking, I have no idea whether I'm on track, whether I'm saying the right things, or I'm doing the right things. I need to be led by the Holy Spirit, and I need to hear His voice. And this voice is becoming the most precious thing because around me there are many voices, just like you. There are many, the, the, the airwaves are colliding with suspicion, confusion, fear, right? And you must be able to walk into an environment and hear clearly God speak so that you can arrest the confusion and bring peace to the environment. How do you do that? You've got to start the journey of hearing. Now, there's many ways we hear God. You, hopefully, by what I'm saying this morning, you're hearing God and he's witnessing with you. But then there's a time when God speaks to you when you're on your own. And you don't hear my voice or anybody else's voice. God speaks to the inside of your heart. And most Christians struggle in this area of hearing God. And it's the basic ingredient for being a disciple. So, so powerful if you can hear God. Because out of what you hear, you see that's why when we're talking this morning, we say, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Out of the hearing comes a seeing. Yeah. And out of the seeing sometimes, there comes a hearing. Yeah. The two work in partnership with each other. I can observe two people. And I can see something, but also I can hear what God is trying to teach me. So in the hearing and the seeing, and the seeing and the hearing, the two are connected and what I can hear and see and see and hear, I can touch and lay hold of. Amen? So let's just say, for instance, this way, this path here, has not been open to me. And all of a sudden I hear someone speaking. And God knows the thoughts I've been having and the struggles I've been having. I hear someone speak God's word to me. It might not even be God's word. Anyone could be speaking, but out of that, God uses it. So as, God, as, as I hear that, God speaks. I hear God speak. Now I see it. Because I can see it, it's like the wardrobe has opened. Now I can make an advancement towards it and step into it. You see, when God spoke to me about uh, changing the name of the church, the guy was speaking about something... Com- I can't even remember what the guy was speaking about. Now it's, it's, it's gone out of my head. But I hear, it's so clear, out of what was being said, I hear God's voice come to me. 
And instantly I saw the pathway open. So you must hear in order to see, and you must hear and see in order to touch. Does that make sense? I'm saying far more than I planned to say this morning. And I'm not saying what I did plan to say, so... You know, there's certain things that flesh and blood will never reveal to you. There are certain things that flesh and blood can never reveal. In other words, your mum and dad, even though they they are protectors and and spend a lot of time raising us, and even though we go to school or we go to university or we might have a great mentor or teacher, there's some things that flesh and blood can never reveal to you. God has to speak. God has to show you. God has to reveal. And God uses flesh and blood, circumstances, life, to speak to you out of that. But had he not spoken, it was just an experience. But now it becomes a fruitful experience because now you've learned something from it. Amen? God has to speak to us. Because if God doesn't speak, the chances are you could repeat the experience again. True? We have to decide once and for all, or God's trying to help us see whether our hearts is very much like the church he spoke about in the end times called the book of, in the book of Revelation, the church called the Laodicean church. And this was, a, this was a very, very strong word he had to say to the Laodicean church. And he accused them of not being hot. He accused them of being lukewarm. And there's nothing like, for me, I like a hot cup of tea. I don't like, funny enough, if you serve me a lukewarm cup of tea from the beginning, I don't like it. If it's been hot and it gets down, I can handle it to a degree. And that's just the way I work. Weird, I know. But... The point is, is that I don't like tea and coffee warm. Give it me hot. I don't like soup warm. Give me piping hot. And I'm going to blow on it. I know, I'm going to cool it down, but that's not the point. I'm going to determine the temperature it's going to enter into my body. Is that, does that make, it's weird. I know, I know. It's one of the idiosyncrasies of humanity, but I've got it, and I've got it in abundance. We play with these little games with ourselves, don't we, where food's concerned. But I know that Lukewarm is not very good. And even more so in the mouth of Jesus. He's saying, the last thing I ever died for was a lukewarm, half-hearted, insipid, wet wipe church. I don't carry wipes around with me. I have a hot, on-fire church. I like my church one level and one level only. And that's what Jesus is saying. When I say I like my church, he means I like my people. And when he says, I like my people, he means he likes you. True? So he's got it all the way down from the, the church down to you. Because at the end of the day, it's about you. And how you walk and how you interact with Christ himself. And you cannot pursue him if you're lukewarm. I'm sorry. Because you know what happens if you're lukewarm? Let's just say, Phil says to me, is, is, he wants to do, so he wants to play golf. And he's really passionate about golf. And he says, let's make plans to go and play golf. So what's he, what's he done? His enthusiasm, he said, let's go and make a plan for golf. So I buy into his enthusiasm. And then he rings me up and says, ah, I'm not really bothered today. What does that do? It, it creates disappointment in my heart. Yeah. And it creates uh, frustration. And it creates a distrust in his words. So the following week, he says, can we play golf again? And I'll say, well, hang on, you let me down last week. Yeah, yeah, well, that was last week. But if he keeps being repeated... It's actually going to 
It's going to give no weight and no authority and no credibility to his word. That's how it is with you and me in our relationship with Christ. Christ is very clear about what he's saying to you. And what I do like about Jesus, there's quite a lot I like about Jesus actually, he's not a bad guy. He's actually built into his, his own heart, you disappointing him. And yet he still doesn't leave us. But guess what? He's still carrying on with what he's doing. He's not waiting for you neither. But if you turn around, he's there. But if you don't turn around, he's carrying on and he's still walking with the walkers. But God can always hear the talkers. He'll always hear the talkers. But it doesn't mean say your prayers are going to get answered. God answers the walkers. Amen? God walks with the walkers. So let me just bring this thing to a conclusion. Last scripture. You've heard that many times, haven't you? So now I've said it, I've got to do it. Because if you don't, you won't believe me. <laughs> hey, and we're not playing golf here. Galatians chapter 2 verse... Oh, hang on, because I'm cutting forward now. Let me just find out what might be a different scripture. Oh, okay, here we go. Let's go to Job chapter 29 verse 1. Let's just skip forward to the end of the message. Which is unlike me. Job 29 verse 1. And Job continued his discourse. In other words, he's talking, he's in the midst. Let me just change this microphone because it's doing my head in. Sorry about this for those who are listening. Okay. Job continued his discourse. How long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me? When his lamp shone upon my head and my light, and, and, sorry, and my head, and by his light, I walked through the darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. When the Almighty was still with me and my children were aroused, uh, sorry, were around me. When my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. Here's a man who's recounting what once happened. Can you see that? He's actually thinking to himself, these were the days I remember when. So something's changed in his life. And what does he say? The days when I consciously, when I was consciously awake and I recognized that God was watching over me there was a day when he recognized that this was happening this was a factor in his life friends let's get that back let's get that back in the house the day when I was consciously awake and I recognized that God was watching over me let's get that back into our life yeah would you agree with that Let's go to the next thing he says. When his lamp shone upon my head so I could walk through the fields of darkness. When God's light was shining upon my path and I wasn't struggling. I always knew which way to go, which decision to make, which person to avoid. I want that back in my life. I want his light back on my path. I want to be able to avoid the darkness because I know darkness will come. I want to learn to navigate the darkness. 
I'm never going to avoid darkness because darkness will come to me at some point. Because I'm, because I'm standing for something. But darkness doesn't have to be in me. So I need, to learn, I need his light so I can navigate my ways around the darkness and through the darkness. And then he says, when there was clear evidence that God's intimate friendship blessed my house. Hey, I want us to have a house where the people in God's house live in families where God's blessing is on their families. It's called rebuilding the walls. And you don't rebuild the walls by your family just sat in church. Because there's still walls inside your children, even though you can bring them to church. What we need is God's blessing to be clearly evident upon our family. I'm not there yet. I'm seeing God do it in certain sections of my family, but I'm not fully there yet. But I have a plan for that, and I'm working on that plan. I have some word I've got to speak into, speak over. I've got some actions I need to take. I've got some decisions I might need to make. I've got some more prayer, more understanding. I've got some wisdom to impart as a father. But you know what? I'll do a far more talking that way into the heavenly realms than I might get the opportunity to speak this way. But there's some things I've got to do. Why? Because I'm determined my family is going to be consciously aware of the presence of God. And I want my family to see you can live life without God and be moderately blessed. Or you can walk with God and do his will and be abundantly blessed. You can choose moderate or abundant. And a man's, possession, and a man's abundance is not measured by his wealth. So we're not talking about what house you live in. When the Lord Almighty was still with me and my children were around me. That's, to me, that talks about restoration. Yes. Bringing my children back around me. The place of, of, of influence. The place of respect and stature in the family. Job remembers when the Lord Almighty was still him and his children were around him. This is what we need to see. Get back into the church. But you must pursue God. You cannot see these things happen with a lukewarm heart. Seriously, folks, it won't happen. And the last one, he says, when my path was drenched with the cream. And the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. What a scripture this is. Job, my question to Job, and obviously as we read the rest of the scripture, different things come into play. But my, my scripture is, my question to Job is, what the hell did you do? What have you done to lose this? What, what have you said to him? I know you got in trouble last time for opening your mouth in front of him. But what have you done? Where, what's, what's happened to you that you've moved? Now, this guy went through hell and high water. But the point is, he's saying this for our benefit. It's not what happened to Job, it's what Job said. When my path was drenched. Now think of that just for a minute. What does your path drench with the cream of heaven look like? Now I wonder how many selfish thoughts are running through your mind right now. Do you know what to me? Do you know what it is for me? When the Lord Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, that's what the cream looks like to me right now. When my family are serving the Lord... They're around my table. They're in the place of influence, a place of 
strength, when they respect me and I respect them, when we're in that position, to me right now, that I can't think beyond that, that's what the cream looks like. Now, for you, it might be something else. That's fine. That's not, I'm not saying what I'm... This is the only answer. You may have your own perspective on that, what the cream looks like for your family. For you, it might be you've lost somebody you want to restore, you, you want to restore the relationship, or you lost someone you would love them to be restored, and unfortunately, that's not possible because life has taken them. But God still has cream for your path. There's still a cream for your path. But f- folks, it can only be revealed in God. It can only be revealed in God. It can only be released by God. But it takes a hot heart to seek after God to see this happen. We are talking about pursuing God. We are pursuing God for knowing God. But God's going to ask you some questions. And I had four questions to ask you, but we don't have time to go for it. But the point is, don't be a wet wipe. Don't be lukewarm. Stop avoiding God. I said, stop avoiding God. Stop avoiding God. Let him speak to you. And answer the question, for goodness sake. Answer the flipping question. One speaker, who I won't mention his name, was in America. He was on a radio station. And he was talking about homosexuality. And the, 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 the chat show host said to him, what is your view on homosexuality? And, and here's a guy of a pastor of a very, very large church. And he said, well, it's not my role to judge. It's not my role to say anything. And uh, it's just not my place. I would just prefer Jesus loves them all. Yeah, we know Jesus loves them all, but what's your view on it? And he's going on and on and on and on. He kept avoiding the question. And a, and a lady from his church rings up and she says, hi, pastor. You know, as the Americans do, hi, pastor. And he goes, hi, I'm a member of your church. Oh, that's very nice. Oh, pastor, da, 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 da. For goodness sake, man, answer the flipping question. This was the woman out of his own church tell, saying this live. Answer the question. The man's asked you a question. What do you believe about this? And you've skirted around. And she's saying, open your mouth. You should never have taken the gig if you don't want to ask the question. You must answer the question when it's been asked. Who do people say I am? What have you touched? What have you seen? What have you heard? What is your hands laying hold of? If you can't answer those questions, my friend, you have nothing to say. If you ask me what I've laid hold of this week, I can tell you. And I can be smart and tell you not knowledge. But the real answer is I, I laid hold of Christ more this week. And through laying hold of Christ this more, things have been revealed to me. Hence why I'm in a very, very good place of hearing God's word right now. And I want you to be in that place. Because I want, Jesus said, I want those to be where I am. Right? That was very clear what Jesus said. Father, I'm praying because I want those you've given me to be where I am. I'm praying for you so that you can be where I am. Okay? I didn't say be like me. I said be where I am in the spirit I'm talking about now. I didn't ask you to all look sexy like me. I'm sorry, you can't all. That's a grace only I can carry. However, but you can all be where I am and where the rest of the team is. Not that we're elevating ourselves. but We're not saying that, please don't get. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there's a place in God 
where we can all journey. We've got to cross over and get into it. But you've got to do this seven days a week, friends. You did the hard part this morning by listening to me. Well, you did the easy part, I should say. The hard part's actually going doing it. So let's stand to our feet. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. The Apostle Paul said this, I have resolved to know nothing else than to know Christ crucified. In other words, I've concluded. I've had some questions in my mind and I've concluded that I have now resolved that I will know nothing else other than Christ crucified. Job said, I have made a covenant. Sorry, was it Daniel? Sorry, Daniel said, I have, uh, I have made a covenant with my eyes that my eyes will not sin. Was it Job, was it? Job. Job said it. Daniel said, I will not eat the food yeah. from the king's table. Yeah. Abraham said, I will not take from the king and be blessed. I've sworn, I've sworn by heaven and earth that, I will not, that he's the one who blesses me. So at certain times, certain people made a, a declaration and they resolved inside their own hearts what they would do and what they wouldn't do. This morning, you must resolve in your heart the lengths you will go to, the decisions you will make, the choices you will make to follow Christ and use that measure that I spoke about with Veronica and follow him. There is a work still needing to be done within you. So right now, if you just raise your hands with me and just think about what's being said this morning. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. The hand that reached out to you this morning during worship is the hand that's saying to you, come up higher. It's the same hand that's saying, come up higher. This is where I am. This is where you need to be. Keep your eyes focused on me. You're getting your eyes so bogged down on your everyday circumstances that you're not looking up. Keep looking up because the mist will disappear. You'll break through, but you must keep looking up. There's going to be a suddenly. Suddenly the sun will shine. Suddenly rain will fall upon your barren land. Suddenly the Lord's hand will grab hold of you and pull you up to where he is. There will be a suddenly, but you must be stay in position. You must be determined in your heart, mind, that this is the path I'm going to stay on. I will pursue you, Lord. Put a holy pursuit within my heart. Put a holy pursuit in my heart. Father, I decree and declare that I'm going to have the cream on my path. I'm going to have the family around me. I'm going to know the blessing of God in my family. I'm going to feel his presence. I'm going to know his ways. Father, I'm praying the fivefold blessings of Job. Lord, and I'm going to make them my pursuit. I'm going to make them my pursuit. I'm going to make them my pursuit. For me and my household, we're going to experience this power, this relationship, this desire. Oh, Father. Father, I commit this body to you, oh God. It's your body, your people, 
Your people, oh God, your saints, oh God. Lord, I commit them to you this morning. Father, I thank you, oh God, that you've given me, brothers and sisters, you've given me a congregation to share your wisdom, your insight, your revelation and your knowledge with. Father, you've given us a company of people, Lord, who are called believers. I ask, Father, for the wisdom. I ask for the revelation. I ask for the insight, Father, to speak to your people. Father, to encourage your people, to empower your people so that they can be where we are. We can, so that every man, woman and child in this house, Father, can enjoy the position of being where you are. Father, I declare your hand is strong. Your outstretched arm is towards us. Make it possible, oh God, for your people to come to this position. Tune every heart in this room. Tune every heart to your frequency. Come on, say, tune my heart, Lord. Tune my heart. Tune my heart, my ears to hear you. My spirit to see you. My hands to lay hold of you. My feet to follow you. Tune me, O God. Tune me, O God, by the Spirit of God. I, I, I declare, O God, tune me. Fine-tune me this morning. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Tune me. Tune me, O God. Tune me. Tune me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Father, I've dispensed the word that you put in my heart. Now, unto him who is able to keep you from falling. I commend you to the grace of God. I said I commend you to the grace of God. The grace that is able to keep you from falling. I commend you this morning. I release you into the grace. Knowing that the grace is able to sustain you and keep you. For the grace that so powerfully works in me, Paul said, it was given to me for you. So that which was given to me in the spirit for you, I now release to you and commend you to in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will the Lord bless you?